What's up, everybody? I'm JJ John Stramski. And I'm Jason Goff. And if you haven't heard, The Ringer has gone local. I'm bringing the fire. I'm bringing the rain from the Big Apple with my show, New York, New York. And I'm repping Chi-Town with my new show, The Full Go on All Things Chicago. We've got episodes three nights a week with all the reaction to the local teams and guests. Plus bonus episodes around all the big games and storylines. So whether you're uptown, downtown, in the burbs, or a transplant. Make sure you follow New York, New York, and The Full Go on Spotify or wherever you get your podcast. It's the Ringer NBA show presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA Finals starts now, and FanDuel is the best place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Quick Bets, which are back and better than ever for the NBA playoffs on FanDuel. Find out what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out live bets like three-minute markets and exclusive live bets like quarter player props, player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available. And listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 years and older, 18 and older in D.C., and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. This episode is brought to you by Arby's. Arby's better not catch you slacking on snacking with their new two-for-five-dollar chicken wraps. And your choice of ranch, barbecue, honey, mustard, and a bonus flavor called Incredible Value. You can't taste it, but boy, is it sweet. Arby's two-for-five-dollar chicken wraps are here for a limited time at participating locations. Visit an Arby's near you or order ahead on the Arby's app. Folks, basketball, predictable, but it's pretty good. It's really good, really damn good in my opinion. And uh, it's a beautiful day. It's warming up here in Louisville, Kentucky. My name is Jay Kyle Mann. Uh, This is Upside High, the show where we hone in, we zero in on the young movement, the youth movement within basketball. We talk about young players, and every week I am joined by a brilliant fellow, the Defense Against the Dark Arts of the Post professor, Jonathan Sharks. John, how you doing? I'm good. That was a good callback. And you changed up. I was wondering if you do the same intro the whole time or if you change it up. I guess you're starting to have variations. You know, you start with something and then you just kind of riff. I'm, I'm trying to riff a little bit, keep it loose. But, you know, when you said the dark arts of the post thing, that just, it stuck with me. It had it had a nice little ring to it. I liked it. Very Harry Potter-ish, I guess. Yeah, I kind of twisted it and made it a little bit of Harry Potter. Uh, this is uh, This is one of my favorite times of the year. Like, you know, the weather, it's warm down where you are all year, but there's a certain, like, hope that enters the air up here with us people who freeze our asses off all winter whenever it starts to get warm and and uh, different uh, college basketball is ramping up. I'm getting pretty excited. I was going to say, it's March. That's the exciting thing. We are almost at March Madness. It's the best. I love, that's like, I'll out myself. I was a fan of March Madness before I was a fan of the NBA. So for me, it's like back to the beginnings. Yeah, I was... I was an NBA fan pretty much immediately, actually even before college basketball. I didn't really even get into Kentucky until like those, this is predictable, but like those like late 90s teams, it was a fun time to jump in. But yeah, I mean, do you have any kind of uh, March Madness? We're going to be obviously, more March Madness content is going to be coming as as that goes on. I think there's a lot of kind of draft adjacent things to talk about and we will. Um, do you have any kind of like viewing traditions for March Madness that you get excited about or, or or what? I just watching as many games as I can. I think that's been like one of those things when you get married and you have a kid 
it's like, oh, I actually can't watch every single game. I actually prioritize. <laughs> I can't watch the the sixteen and the one or the fourteen and the three. I've got to actually just pick and choose the games to watch now. Yeah, I used to be like take off work and like on that for Thursday, sure Friday, yeah. and I would get like as many screens as I physically could get going and and set them up like an iPad, a TV. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a fantastic time uh, around the NBA. I mean, there there have been last last night there were a couple. Just rattling off some incredible performances. John Morant last night. Did you get to see John Morant go for 52 last night? I saw him dunk on Jakob Pertle. That was pretty impressive, that's for sure. Pertle is, is a guy that like is sneaky, tough to challenge. Like He does a pretty good job in those situations. But yeah, Morant drew back, and that was one of the nastier... Like it, He didn't have like insane momentum. It kind of reminded me of like the Kevin Johnson dunk where he got Hakeem like, off of like one or two steps. He cocked that thing back. Normally, it's like on an angle at a seven-footer, but that was straight on, just right in his face. Yeah, it was almost like Vince Carter going over Frederick Vise. Um, yeah, 22 for 30 uh, field goals. He was four for four from three. Surprisingly, only two assists in that game. Interesting thing about him is just that uh, Morant has more of a scoring appetite than I thought. I was kind of thinking about what my opinions were about Morant coming out of college in the sense of like, I have people ask me all the time about like, how do you process players? Like in terms of what's your, what's your system? I think everybody kind of has their own system, the way that they go about it. I was curious to ask you what, like, how do you project? And this will, this will kind of factor into somebody we're going to talk about in a little bit. Jay Nivey from Purdue. How do you kind of size up what you think a player's ceiling is whenever you're watching a draft prospect? Well, I think with Ja, what I, it's interesting with him is in my head coming out of college, I had this thought, oh, like obviously everyone knew he was going to be really good. Like he was not exactly, he's pretty solid, the number two player in that draft behind Zion, I think everywhere. And the one thing I think I was holding me back with him was I had this idea in my head, oh, he's only 6'3", 180. He's playing in a smaller conference. Surely he can't live at the rim at the same extent he's doing in I guess it was the OVC back then. He was as the he will in the NBA. Yeah. And I think that rule, I wonder sometimes if we overrate the NBA a little bit. How do you right? mean? Like, well, because you'll you'll think, oh, this like this weird physical archetype is not going to be able to work at the highest level, like it's worked at lower levels. But with the very best players, maybe that's just not the case. Like Ja finished at a really high level in college. And he's finishing at a really high level in the NBA. And I think sometimes we assume, well, just because you're doing X in college, it can't work at the next level. But there's like all these other factors involved too, right? Yeah, Jaws going up against better defenders, but he also has better teammates. And I think for me, one thing I've really, in the last couple of years, I've really kind of come around on is finishing in, a, in and of itself is a skill. And if you're an elite finisher, you're an elite finisher, regardless of the level you're playing at. Mm -hmm. And that ties into something we were talking about with like Simons and like foul generation. It's like, if you have that skill early on, it does seem to continue. I think Ja was like a 50% rim finisher in college, but he was responsible for a lot of offense at Murray. I was kind of wondering about my trouble was you're talking about like overrating the NBA in that transition to the NBA. I was thinking, okay, he's, he like led the country in like points generated, whether it be like assists or offense. And I was just thinking, or points himself. And I was thinking, I feel like the points are going to come back 
a little bit because I I saw him as somebody with like the passer gene that might not necessarily want to have the appetite to score like that. But he's really surprised me. I think the mistake I had is just I was like wrong about his ceiling. I think I think I underestimated his ability to be like the offensive engine of a team. Yeah, it's kind of what I was saying. It's like just because he's taking so many twos in college, and you think I remember thinking, well. Probably if he'll be this efficient in the NBA, he'll have to become more of a three-point shooter. And that's always been the thought. It's kind of what you were saying. He scored 52 points, but he only took four threes. Mm -hmm. And it's like, well, maybe he won't. Like, maybe he's just, he's that fast. He's such a good passer. He's such a good finisher. If the floor spread for him, maybe he can score a will at the rim in the NBA. And that's what he's doing. Yeah. Yeah. And I, th- I think it's something we've talked about before is I really think before we move on, just is I think the difference between him and some of these other like hyper athletic guards is I think his playmaking feel is, you know, he didn't really distribute as much in that game. It called for him to score more. But I, I do think his playmaking feel is like way above those guys elsewhere in the NBA with like Scotty Barnes picked on an underhanded Brooklyn team at 28 points, 16 rebounds. If you go and watch the, the footage on that one, it's just him chipping them to death, which is a thing, but you know, Brooklyn's a little shorthanded inside. Suggs had a good game last night, 14 points, 10 assists, two for four from three. But uh, this week I wanted to talk to you about um, you're writing something right now in the, in the process of writing, talking about like athletic players. I think this is a, a semi smooth transition honestly because Jay Nivey Purdue's standout sophomore you know six for people who don't know much about him Jay Nivey is six foot four about 200 pounds pretty long I think he's got a wingspan that's somewhere I've seen anywhere between like six seven to to like six ten ish range so we're talking about a long bendy athlete um Jay Nivey, what are, what are you, were your first impressions of him in diving into the tape on Jay Nivey? Yeah, I mean, he's a guy we've been kind of circling for a while. Everyone's been talking about, obviously, Jabari Smith, Chet Holmgren, Paolo Bonchero as the top three players in this draft. But Ivy's really right outside that range, if not in that range. So we wanted to get to him before March Madness starts because he's got a chance, I think, to really elevate himself in the national consciousness in this March. And the difference, I guess the first difference between Jaden and his other three guys, the other three guys, they've been kind of predestined for stardom for a while now. They came into college as freshmen, supposed to be a top three picks. They've been going back to their high school senior years. Whereas Jaden's been more of a late bloomer. He was like a four star. I think he was like number 90 as a freshman in his recruiting class. He had a really solid freshman year. And now he's exploded as a sophomore into like this top five discussion. And he's got Purdue playing. Purdue is like a good program, but now he has Purdue in the top five and they really have a chance at a national title. The first thing with Jaden Ivey is he's so fast. Like he's got that elite, kind of we're talking about with Ja, like he has like that one trait when you're looking at a smaller guard. Okay, he's only 6'4". But he has like he has elite speed that will translate immediately to the NBA. I watched a game where he had like 20 free throws, right? That tells you a 6'4 guard getting 20 free throws is just that's absolute physical dominance. Like I'm putting my head down, I'm going to the rim. Y'all can't stop me. Only thing you can do is foul me, basically. Yeah. And that's what he does. And then he's had sequences. We were talking about it. He's had sequences where I was watching a game against Michigan where he dunked on the entire team on consecutive possessions. Just like 
preposterous athletic ability. It's like the start for Jaden Ivey. Before we segue into like rounding out his athleticism and the applications of his athleticism, I wanted to give a little more clarity on that. You talked about him being different than the other guys. Just sort of a year behind them, like we said, he's a second year player. He was number eighty seven in the in like the high school composite rankings. Like he's an Indiana guy, transferred his senior year of high school to La Lumiere. For people who don't know, La Lumiere has kind of emerged as a basketball finishing school in Indiana. A lot of like really good college players have come from there. Uh, a few NBA guys like Jordan Poole playing for the Warriors now, Jaron Jackson Jr. playing for the Grizzlies, uh, like Tracy Jackson Jr. is a guy that plays for IU. I know our guy Matt Dollinger is going to cringe that we're going to be praising a Purdue guy on this show, but um, a lot of good players. But a key thing that you and I were talking about, something interesting that he has that's a parallel, this is like Bioblast type stuff. Uh, his mom was a w- WNBA player and was an assistant coach in the NBA, if I'm not mistaken, for the Grizzlies. Yes. And now she's the head coach for Notre Dame's women's basketball team. Yeah, he's a he's a coach's son the other way. Yeah. So it's like every, when you don't really hear coach's son, you think, oh, he played for his dad. But actually his mom was the coach. His dad was an NFL wide receiver for a while. So he has that combination of elite athletic ability when you have two pros as your parents – then he also has the cerebral, got a good feel for the game because he's a coach's kid, right? He grew up watching film. If you read stories about him, we'll talk about he kind of grew up in WNBA locker rooms, that whole dynamic. And so he's really understands the game. He's an unselfish player too. He's not a guy who's just like jacking up shots. And we'll get into this a little bit. Like Purdue has a very, they're a very different kind of team in that they have two massive centers, who they throw play a lot through. So it isn't like Ivy just holds the ball the whole game and just jacks up shots. Like he's part of a team concept and he's really comfortable just throwing the ball inside, dumping it off to his big men. And he's a very like, he shoots a lot, but I would say he's ultimately a fairly unselfish player. I don't think he plays selfishly or anything. Okay. You talked about the cerebral part of his game, like the, the wide receiver thing. Like he, he has the body of like an NFL wide, like he, he seems like that type of player, the same type of thing when I would watch Jalen green last year in the open court. Now Ivy is built bigger. He's not as spindly as, as green, a little more solidly built, but his like open court speed is unbelievable. Like when you get into that, like third, fourth step in transition, I would say like turning the corner. Would you say he's the best? Is he the best like corner turning guard, like getting to the rim, like getting past his man in this draft? Is there anybody else that is in his category, in your opinion, that you've seen so far? That's a good question. I need to look up the draft to make sure. Since you asked the question, I'm going to hope you have an answer off the top of your head. I think head. he is. He he has elite okay. like corner turning <laughs> speed. I was setting you up for me to spike it. But the cerebral part, you've dove on him more recently than I have. Where do you see... You talk about him growing up in WNBA locker rooms and having the athleticism. Where do you see the cerebral part of his game bubbling up the most? What what popped to you in that sense? Well, I mean, number one, so Purdue, I believe, has the number one offense in the country. They do. They're like an uber-efficient offense. And a lot of it, too, Ivy, he plays under that style. He pretty much doesn't take long twos. He either goes all the way to the rim or he's shooting threes. So he plays a very high-efficiency style of basketball. He's definitely – because it's like he is their number – I don't know if he's in their top score because their big man scores so much, but he's their primary perimeter scorer. But he plays in the flow of their offense usually. He doesn't really like hijack their offense too much to get his numbers. He runs around a lot off screens. And I think that part is going to be 
where I think the rubber meets the road with Ivy in terms of projecting him forward. So he's about 6'4", 200, and he doesn't play point guard for them. So they rotate through two other point guards, and they have a, another guard, Stefanovic, who handles the ball a lot. So it's very much, in terms of handling the ball, an equal opportunity offense. And I think that is the question for Ivy is projecting him, is he's not a point guard, really. He can pass the ball. He, he's great at getting to the rim, and then either the defense collapses and he finds the big or the shooter. But I wouldn't say he like runs much offense for them. He plays pretty free. He plays a lot off the ball. Then he'll catch the ball and just like can into the basket at full speed. And it's great. But the question I think for NBA teams in terms of where they're slotting Ivy is going to come down to, do you believe he can be a full-time point guard? Because if he's not going to be a full-time point guard at his size, that does create some complications about building the team around him. I think one of the things that's going to dictate whether or not he can do that is if he's able to, if he has inefficiencies in his game. I'm looking at his shot chart here. Like in terms of like where he takes his attempts, you're right. Like he doesn't really, t- I think he's taken like under 15 attempts total in the mid range this season. And then he's taken 108 attempts at the rim and 77 in the paint, 39% shooter in the paint at 67.6. So he's a good finisher, really wiggly. What do you think offensively would limit him from being like a primary initiator that's not going to hurt you? I think the lesser issue is like, I do think you need to take some long twos if you're a primary. Like that sometimes the offense, you know, bogs down. You've got to create a shot. He shoots a little from his chest. So I do worry a little in like the 18, 20 foot ranked at six foot four. Can he get his shot off there because of like his lower release? At the three-point line, it doesn't really matter to me. He's just so fast that he creates space for himself to shoot. I think the bigger issue is like if you're thinking, okay, I can make Jade and Ivy my primary, it's such a mental game too, right? Like there's so much of all being a point guard that's like the mental part of, okay, who's getting the ball? Am I getting everyone their touches? How do I make sure that the flow of the offense remains the same? That's just like the mental part of the game he hasn't had to have yet really. He pretty much he plays very free at Purdue, right? Purdue kind of weaponizes his speed, lets him get buckets, and then he'll make the pass with the bucket is not there for him. But moving him to point guard, that would mean kind of changing how he plays in some way because now he's just got so many more things to keep track of in his mind. I think that's the biggest issue. And like there's so many guys, you know, and you see it a lot. Okay, we're going to draft the 6-4 combo guard and then move him to point guard. I think the probably the best example of that is Victor Oladipo at Indiana, another Indiana guy, where the Magic drafted him to be the point, even though he played two in college. And it was a pretty brutal three- or four-year stretch where he was learning the position, and the team kind of sucked as he learned it. You see that some. I mean, Donovan Mitchell was a converted. He was sort of a one-two and then kind of went to the one. But Ivy, I think it's not necessarily a ding against them that they don't shoot in the mid-range. I think, like you were saying, you could probably get away with being a primary and not being, I guess it's just a primary handler versus a primary scorer. I'm not totally sure about him as like as like a dribble pull-up shooter at this point, but he, he does have some sh- some touch from range. His, his shot kind of reminds me of Morant, actually, like where he releases it from and sort of, because he has that overlap of like awkward release, but still has some touch from three. Do you, do you kind of see that? Because I've seen... I've seen some instances where he pulls up in transition, and I'm like, it's not that bad. Well, I think you've touched on two players that are good benchmarks. And you talked about Morant. You talked about Donovan Mitchell. 
And the Moran comparison, he apparently worked out with Ja, which makes sense given that his mom coached Ja, that they would have a connection. Yeah. And they apparently worked out some this summer. And you can see it in terms of the pure speed and the hair a little bit too. The hair is a distraction. That's like one of those aesthetic like tractor beam things. But that's the question, right? So yeah, Ja has that pure speed. But Ja also mentally crazy smart player, oh, right? Yeah. Like Ja's like a fl- pure floor general on top of being an elite scorer. We have not really seen that from Jaden. I mean, Jaden hasn't really had the opportunity for whatever reason, the same way Ja did. And then that brings you to Donovan Mitchell. And I think that's a guy who I've been thinking about a lot with Ivy and where it gets complicated. Okay, Donovan Mitchell. So he is a guy like Ivy. He was kind of a combo guard in college. He played off the ball a lot. And there was this question, is he a one or a two? And he's gotten to Utah. He's been a two pretty much this whole time in Utah, right? He's played with Ricky Rubio his first few years. Then he's played with Mike Conley the last couple. And he's been great as a two. But I think my concern with Ivy, if I'm thinking he's going to be Donovan Mitchell, is that Mitchell takes like 10 threes a game, right? Like Mitchell is an elite shooter. And that's my concern when I've been like projecting Ivy going forward is I do worry a little bit. It's like you have, when you are an elite athlete with an elite scoring ability, you do kind of have to fall in one of those two buckets. Either you've got to be an elite shooter too, means you can play two guard off a point guard, or you have to be the point guard and have the ball in your hand the whole game and distribute to everyone. But if you aren't doing either one of those things, that's where it gets tricky. And that's my concern with Ivy. Yeah, you're right. Like Donovan Mitchell was shooting seven threes per game as a rookie at 34%. He's hovered in the mid thirties. I don't know that uh, Ivy would get that kind of efficiency at that volume, especially like on the types of threes I expect him to take. But I I have some some faith in like in terms of like as a shooter this season, his percentages have been good. Like he's he's had a a pretty massive like efficiency jump in terms of his true shooting, and and that a lot of that has been because of his three point shooting. He he went up a full eleven percent as a three-point shooter this season over last season. And that number would be even higher. He's kind of had a rough February this season. He It pulled his percentage down quite a bit. I had that in front of me, but it was something like 12% from three in February, but up to that point. But he takes good shots. I guess the question is, could he exist as a guy who is sort of a secondary player, playing off the catch, attacking with his speed, generating fouls, getting to the rim. Like we talked about, he's not like a selfish player. He makes good decisions typically, but he's not like a pure facilitator. I guess another question is, if you have a guy that has kind of conditional questions about like their efficiency, if they can stay on the floor so that those things don't kill you, one of the ways to do that is on the defensive end. And I guess like my question for you would be, what do you see his role being? Because like a lot of times we'll look at these like elite athletes, which I think he is. He's super flexible, decent size, very fast, very long, could be like a corrective, like erase mistakes. He's like that type of disruptive player. What, what do you see his defensive role being in the NBA? I mean, he's a pretty good defender for sure and at Purdue. And like he does a great job. I was watching the game where he blocked two jump shots. The guy was coming around a screen and he just followed the guy behind and blocked it from behind. And I think that that ability of speed and the wingspan and the t- tenacity, that means he'll be a decent enough defender, I think, for sure. The question is, okay, he's 6'4", 200. And 
probably the game of the year in college basketball this year, I think in terms of scouting, was this game against where he played Johnny Davis at Wisconsin. And we'll talk about Johnny Davis as, as we get into March Madness. He's another probably lottery pick. I have my Big Ten limits. I can't go full Big Ten. I'm like, I like I I I'm gonna get. It's like alcohol poisoning. It's like I can sip some Big Ten, but I don't want to end up in the hospital if I talk. Big it's Ten true. The, the Big hours. Ten. This is this has been the best year of the Big Ten probably like in a decade. It really, it's actually it's been pretty rough, but this year has been good. And in that game, Johnny. This is the game that made Johnny Davis probably a top ten pick. Is he just lit up Purdue for like thirty five? And he was just too big for Ivy. I don't think Ivy even guarded him that much because Davis is like a punishing 210, 215 player at 6'5". And he could just finish over Ivy. And that would be the concern, right? If he's a two guard, he's giving up size. So then that gets back to the whole, if he's guarding point guards, that'd be great. But then you almost need to cross switch him with the guy who can guard two guards. But then that guy's got to be able to run point two. And that's where it gets tricky pretty quick. And the thing that stood out to me, so I was kind of looking at comparable players. And I'm looking at guys 6'5 and under, drafted in the top 10, who didn't average more than five assists a game. So basically what you're looking at is combo guards who aren't point guards, who are thought of very highly. The last three years, that's Jalen Green, Jalen Suggs, Anthony Edwards, Kobe White. There's a couple other guys who weren't in the top 10, but the similar kind of player, Donovan Mitchell, Tyler Hero. And then like what stands out with all those guys is they've all made their living or not as three-point shooters. Ant-Man takes a ton of threes. Kobe White's become a three-point shooter. Hero, obviously, three-point shooter. Mitchell, three-point shooter. And it's like, and I think the reason Suggs, for example, that's a guy who struggled this year, largely because the shots abandoned him. And it's because if you're not a point guard, you've kind of got to be a guy who finishes off another point guard. You have to have that three-point shooting ability. And that is where I struggle with Ivy, I think, to go back to that earlier comparison. I've had moments where, and this is usually like an insult for me, but like, because um, I'm in my own circle, uh, famously like a not a Russ guy, I, I get Russ vibes from him, like young Russ, where he like his production, his numbers were like hovering at a lower level, like where they could leap and we're just spec- basically speculating about whether or not they can. Do you want to like tack any other kind of like putting a bow on it thought about Ivy? I think you've summed him up pretty well. Do you expect him to go in the top five? Would you be surprised? No, I think for sure he'll go in the top five. Yeah. My guess would be with Ivy, you would hope eventually he can transition to being a full-time point guard, but it'll be a slower process. So I did a piece actually about the Jazz earlier this season where I said I think the next step for them is trading Mike Connolly for a wing and letting Donovan run point full-time because that allows you to have a much bigger team. I'm always of the belief like I want as much size in the perimeter as possible and so if, I have, if you have two smaller guards, I'm just a firm believe that's going to limit your team ultimately. I think you can have one small guard and you want as much size around them as you can. So my suspicion is ultimately kind of like Donovan Mitchell. I think you draft Ivy, you give him the training wheels, and I believe he can grow. I believe he's already grown a lot. And you look at his background, it makes you believe he'll maximize what he has. But it might be more of a slow build is my suspicion. 
Yeah, I think your point about small building around smaller players, you made this on a previous episode, actually, that like you draft one smaller player and you're kind of out of the small player business because I think scheming against small players in the playoffs, you automatically have like a pressure point that teams can attack because there's a lot of big wings out there. I thought the point, too, that you made about him with like bigger players, too, is interesting because we, th- we think, and this is my just kind of last thought on him defensively, is that... Uh, we think of like big, like disruptive long players as like, oh, he's automatically going to be a great defender. But a lot of times they def- they depend on that sort of space between the ball handler. Like you see this with Thibault a lot. Like he really depends on like trailing the play and then breaking it up or like things like that. NBA players are really smart. Like if they have a guy who's like that athletic, they can kind of put them in jail and neutralize some of those things and like score over the top of them. And speaking of scoring over the top of people. Really, that was a that was like a Hall of Fame segue right there, Charks. You, I'm not appreciating my own time. Uh, <laughs> I want to talk about Jaden Ivey's teammate, Zach Eady, and we are going to do that after we take a break. This episode is supported by State Farm. Man, I remember when I first got into a car accident, it was pure frustration because I did not have State Farm. And now that I do have State Farm, it is an exclamation of pure joy. But the only words that you need to remember are, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. This episode is brought to you by Arby's. It's 3 p.m. and dinner is still hours to come. Maybe lunch didn't quite hit the spot. That's where the new two-for-five-dollar chicken wraps from Arby's come in. Available in ranch, barbecue, and honey mustard. They're perfect for the afternoon snack attack or as an add-on to your meal. Arby's two-for-five-dollar chicken wraps are here for a limited time at participating locations. Visit an Arby's near you or order ahead on the Arby's app. This episode is brought to you by Visible Wireless. Want a wireless provider that always brings its A-game? Switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon as low as $25 a month every month, taxes and fees included. And as if that wasn't already a huge win, you could use promo code RINGER20 to receive $20 off your first month just for listening to us talk about basketball. Not bad, right? You don't need more than one line of wireless to save. Just switch to Visible at Visible.com and use promo code RINGER20 for data management practices and additional terms. Visit Visible.com. The Visible monthly rate is $25 per month. So Zach Eady, seven foot four. I mean, he's, how heavy is he? Probably 285. 285? Woo! Big boy, big boy. A guy this dominant at the college level, you would think, you would think that he could get a, a cup of coffee, a latte, an espresso, an Americano in the NBA. Uh, do you think that he will? Why or why not? So with Edie, okay, oh, he's just a big guy, whatever. But then I'm watching Jaden Ivey, and then every game you watch Jaden Ivey, it's like your eyes are just naturally drawn to this absolute giant of a human being scoring at will Basically, every single game he plays, like the, I think it's worth pointing out. You sent me some numbers, Kyle. It was like this guy's putting up like Shaq Zion numbers in college. Yes. Like he just literally scores a will every single game he plays, and it's preposterous. There's a great website that people should check out called uh, CBB Analytics. They have great visualizations for college data. It's really great if you're like 
any level of following along, they have something for you. But they have this scatter uh, graph where they were showing like players across the Power Five, players across the country, their efficiency. And you can see the dots on there. And there's this one dot that's up in the upper <laughs> right quadrant away from everybody. And it's Zach Eady with his like secretariat level efficiency. I mean, offensively, he doesn't do a lot of like stuff. Like he does some pretty basic things. Uh, I mean, he he kind of... I've noticed a lot that he'll sort of like set a screen and then his guy will be behind him and he'll like just wheel right into like a like a seal like he'll seal his guy and then do a baby hook. I mean, offensively, I don't really see him doing a lot at the next level because I don't think that he's taken a jump shot in like two years at Purdue, if I'm not mistaken. That's the thing. Like, so I think for me, watching Porzingis the last couple of years has made me appreciate. Zach Eady. But you're going all the way the other way. If I'm 7'4", 285, I can just score at will at the rim. Why would I need to do anything else? And he has great footwork. He can use either hand. Mm -hmm. He has a good feel for the game. Like when he's doubled, he finds the open man. A lot of Jaden Ivey's assists is he'll get to the lane and then just kind of the defense collapses and you just throw the ball up. And then Zach Eady's going to get the ball. He is just mad. Talk about cat. Whatever, like, a, he has, like, a catch diameter. Get a catch radius. Catch radius is what they call it. Yeah. This guy literally can catch anything around the basket. And he's going to score. Yeah. And then, okay, yeah, you, you think in the NBA that wouldn't work, but why not? He'd be the biggest player in the NBA, too. And he's so strong. It isn't like he's not even like the strongest player in the NBA. He'll be able to bang with those guys at his size. Yeah, it was cracking me up when, like, the, the Kofi Coburn – Zach Eady matchup I was joking with you was like it's just it was like a Pacific Rim sequel basically to watch yeah. to watch Kofi Coburn like wall him up but to Edie's credit he was he was like walling him up on his left shoulder and Edie was just like okay I'll spin right shoulder and, and baby hook on him well because it's the thing so this guy Kofi Coburn he's 6'11 300 like his whole life he's been the biggest guy on the floor he just dominates guys and then he plays Zach Eady. It's like, oh, not anymore, man. Like, you're kind of a small guy now. Yeah. Right? He makes a guy who's 6'11", 300 look small. He really does. And I guess, talk somewhat around. I remember, th- I, to go back to the Bobon thing, I'm thinking, oh, okay, he'll be in the NBA. He'll be a Bobon type. But then I looked at it. Bobon didn't become a player until he was like 25. Like, Bobon didn't even get big minutes in Europe until his mid-20s. Zach Eady is straight up dominating college basketball at 20. And then it forces you to ask the question, like, I feel almost blasphemous asking this. And maybe this is a stupid question. Like, could he be Yao Ming? I don't know. I mean, he's big as Yao Ming. He has Yao, I think he has Yao Ming's touch. Maybe I've forgotten how good Yao Ming was. I don't know. I think you, you have forgotten what Yao Ming was. Maybe. It's I possible. Love the, I love the question, though. I texted you back. I was just like, I just love the question. I'm glad that you, that's just so Charxian to ask. But I think, um, no, I mean, Yao Ming had like, a lot of passing touch. He had like face up game. He his body broke down, obviously, but I mean, he was like had a very broad skill set, and he was bigger. Not by much. He was same size as Zach Eady. Like we're we're talking seven four seven five three hundred. It's about the same size. It is. I guess it's. I guess it's splitting hairs. But I, the the thing for me, I think that the the differentiator, like the filter for players that big. We talked about like Taco. If Taco Fall can like get a chance in the NBA, I know Zach Eady can because Eady is like way more skilled. And actually, like passing out of the post, I I had a number in front of me earlier that like he's he hasn't popped at all. Like we said, there's no face up game. He's he's rolled to the basket on let's see 93.3 percent of the pick and rolls he's been involved in. Uh, usage 34.1, true shooting 69.1. 
Uh, the question is, like, the filter for guys that big is def defense. Like, and we're talking about could he play in, like, a fourth quarter crunch time playoff scenario. He can't switch in the NBA. He's going to have to be, like, a drop guy. He doesn't block a ton of shots either. I think that at best case scenario, I think he's just going to be, like, a, a an obstruction. He's going to be, like, a disruptor, a big guy. Defensively, what do you think of him really quick before we move on? Well, I mean, that is the question, right? Is he'd have to be living in a drop. And then is, would his offense be good enough to justify living in a drop? And you almost have to have like Jokic level offense to justify that on yeah. a good team. That is like ultimately the question. And I don't think he'll have Jokic level offense, but. Oh, you don't? I, oh, what? Man, I don't what? know though. That's like, two blasphemies in one pod from you. I just can't. I said I don't think so. <laughs> but just like he'll probably stay in school. I doubt it comes pro this year because he's not getting much buzz. He should. All, the, all this to say is you're going to want to watch Jaden Ivey, but when you watch Jaden Ivey, there's going to be this other guy you're just going to have to see for yourself. Like, it's just fun to watch a guy that big get buckets, in my opinion. It's inevitable. We always go through this every season of the people who are dialed in on NBA and then they drop into the college world, into our world. We live in the dark. They're just tourists. No, I, I, when they come in, I'm gonna, it's inevitable to see the tweets. People are going to be like, this guy's fucking huge. And it's, I'm excited to see it. Zach Eady is like a really interesting novel player. Before we end the show, I wanted to talk about uh, somebody probably has more common. There's like a nice transition, I think, between Jaden Ivey and this guy. Ayo I guess the question I would want to ask you is, what is your like level of surprise to how well Ayo has played? Like, Because um, in this past month, he's kind of made the most of like some opportunity. Like he, The Bulls obviously have just been like ravaged by injury. They've had a lot of guys out. I think Lonzo being out was probably the biggest thing for Desunmu. Well, Caruso too. Yeah, yeah. What what have you made of Desunmu? What's what's pop for you about him? I also want to point out that here we go to tease the next segment. <laughs> you we went go. with we're going to talk about a guy literally none of people in this pod have heard of, and you just totally bury talking about this very high profile rookie for a high profile team. So it once just says again, something about my priorities. Your, seg Sarks. your segment teasing is just, that is truly an elite skill you have. I'm a man of the people, the little guy, <laughs> the voice of the okay, voiceless. So, I'm Kyrie. Oh my gosh. Let's, let's, all right. Let's, just, Kyrie. let's, 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 let's reel it in right now. Immediately. Okay. You reel so it in. you um, insulted Yao Ming. Anyway, go ahead. Sorry. So IO, he's been really good from the start of the season. And it's been fun to watch him because he started the year there was so much perimeter talent in Chicago. He's playing behind DeRozan, Levine, Lonzo, Caruso. He's pretty much never getting the ball. And he's like, he's a spot-up shooter, playing really good wing defense to get on the floor. And then they have their big raft of injuries. And with Caruso out and Lonzo out, basically Io's running point. And he's been running point for the last month. He's looked really good doing it. And I think that's been the most impressive thing is he's just been able to... Very, you talk so much about rookies and how like rookies need a role in the NBA to get comfortable. Io's role has changed and he's thrived in both roles. And when you're a role player on an elite team like Chicago, that is like the most important skill is to be able to like find a way to get on the floor. And that's what he's done at a really high level. I think more than anyone expected. And I think with Io is kind of like another guy you wrote about Herb Jones in your rookie report a few weeks ago. And I think sometimes what happens in college is like these guys who stay three and four years, 
you kind of get it in your head that they're one kind of player and you just kind of like you stop watching them not even you don't, you don't stop watching them but like you stop evaluating them in a sense like you they become old news and like they make subtle improvements in their game and it gets kind of overlooked and now i think like you look at chicago's front office new orleans that was a, those are great picks obviously yeah and he's you know he's a hometown guy and uh, like uh, we were talking about where they were ranked he actually was ranked 32nd in his class to give people who don't know anything about him, played at Illinois last year, two years. Three years. Isn't he three years at Illinois? Maybe he was three years. Yeah, I think you're right about that. But I think something that's interesting about IO is last year, you made, you made a point too about like evaluating people and we stopped. We talked a little bit about this when we were out in Vegas at the G League Showcase. I do think that it's important to, and I have to remind myself this, is that like the eval doesn't stop when somebody's 18 or 19. You do need to circle back and circle back again because depending on a player's opportunities, they may have to like change the way they play, and some guys do. But Io has been interesting because last season, I, I feel like whenever the national stage, people were high on him, but whenever the national stage came around and was paying more attention to him, he broke his nose late in the season, the college season last year, and had to like switch to a mask. He's wearing that mask. Yeah, I remember yeah. that. And then he had a tough game in the tournament. They got upset in that like famous game against Loyola's Chicago but people kind of got a little down on him that's the way these things ebb and flow but Chicago the way that their team is set up I think that his skill set and it's a credit to him that he's gotten on the floor with the defensive stuff because they have a lot of guys with a lot of different skill sets that that fit what they're doing but Chicago has these stars these bucket getters they have basically three bucket getters because I would say Vooch is the guy who can get his offense in the pick and pop he's a roller things like that but then you have like these guys that are like all world ISO players and Zach Levine and DeMar DeRozan. And the thing that like was working for them was that Lonzo is this fantastic connective playmaker. And I think the experience that Io got in college on the ball was good training for him in this way because I don't think he's like an elite manipulative playmaker, but he's very good at making the correct simple decision frequently like he consistently does it Mm -hmm. and like if you look at his like assist numbers they're pretty crazy like in february he's been averaging 6.5 assists and his assist to turnover ratio is actually better than josh giddy in that time frame i mean to be fair he's assisting as you just said like when you're assisting damar levine and vooch like you can rack up some assists that way pretty easy yeah but i think i think the point with ao and this is something I might be like lying to myself as a college basketball fan, but I do think there's a lot of value and he got to have three years as the man, right? Like he had the ball in his hands the whole game at Illinois, basically. Illinois is a big time program. It's followed very closely. It's 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 high profile in its own way, right? It's not an NBA team, but you aren't just like at Illinois doing your own thing and nobody cares what happens. Like a lot of folks care what happens. This isn't like Weber State. Yeah, it's like it's a it's a high major program. Yeah. So like all that to say is like when you're got the ball on a high major team, you're gonna have ups and downs, you're gonna have slumps, you're gonna have defenses like game planning to stop you, and then you have to figure out how to beat those game plans. And you just have so many reps on the ball. And that's I think what college gives players, right? Like there's, been, there's all this talk about how, you know, with the G League Ignite and overtime and how NBA teams are grabbing guys younger and younger. And it's like, yes, that works for the very elite top five guys. But I think what makes college great is for a guy like Io. He, Io, for as good as he's been in the NBA already as a rookie, 
he's probably never going to be a franchise player in the NBA. I don't think I'm going too far on the ledge there, right? No. But he's already was a franchise player in college. So he got all those reps as a franchise guy. He comes to the NBA. And it's like, yeah, in the NBA, you have to rein your game back in. But at least you have the experience of pushing your game to its limits. And I think especially for guards, that's very valuable to push your game to the limit. That's what Io got to do in college. And I think that's really paying off for him now in the NBA. Yeah, and I think a couple things to jump off of that. Like the first thing is it depends on the player. Like if somebody is just like a bottomless pit, like they're out there playing the game for them. Like there, there's a difference between playing the game to win with your team and playing the game of like what can I get while I'm out here. And you can kind of see that between players. I never got the vibe that Iowa was that type of player. Like he that he was like just trying to get his. You and I were talking about the other day, like the value of those on ball reps, specifically in pick and roll, because I think pick and roll. Basketball is a game where you've got the primary thing going on, and then the thing that ripples out from that is like the off-ball movement, things like that, the secondary stuff. And I think for a wing, which I kind of consider him somewhere between like a wing and a primary hand, like and an initiator, it's good to get those reps because when you're playing off the catch, whether or not it doesn't necessarily matter if you are a pick and roll player going forward. I think that if you're playing off the catch, it really helps if you have that experience playing the like two-on-two game in the middle of the floor and I think that whenever you watch Io if you see a lot of the the training that he's gotten I think is a simple training which is what we talk about drawing to like if you if you catch the ball let's say Io is not initiating he he catches the ball off of like a and this happens all the time a DeRozan drive or a kick out he has a defender coming at him he's fast enough that he frequently draws two and then he makes a, a good decision off of that. I, that's what I've kind of noticed for him. And that's like the value for him, I think. Really good over-the-top passer, I've noticed. He throws like one pass frequently, and it's that like touch kind of two-hand pass over the top, uh, but frequently making really good decisions for the Bulls. Well, it's kind of what you're saying, that connector, right? He's connecting. Like he's not a primary in Chicago, obviously. His job is to connect the primaries they have and to make the smart play to move the ball. And he's doing that at a very high level. And I think that was my question for him was like, because he spent so much time on the ball at Illinois, was would he be comfortable in a smaller role? Because a lot of guys, they become, they need the ball so much, they become ball dominant. And then like, they're not comfortable in a smaller role, right? They get out of rhythm. But he's been able to like, slide back and forth really well. And I think the other thing with Ayo looking back on it is, you look at his college career, he got better every year. I think that's important too, is that's telling you he's going to the gym, he's working hard, he's proving it. He's not just resting on what he's done and he's working on his game every year. And that's all obviously a very good sign for any player. Yeah, and, and I think that uh, the Bulls have kind of gotten a, a rough deal here. I mean, uh, if you kind of gauge, they lost last night to Miami by by a decent margin. Actually, I turned it off before it was over. They were down big, but been, they're second in the East technically right now, eight and five in February. The Bulls have had kind of, <laughs> for for a year where they've technically kind of exceeded expectations, I think. They're the number two seed. They've obviously exceeded expectations. Things have sort of uh, oscillated a little bit here. I mean, like I, I think that the East obviously got a lot better, and you can kind of sense a little bit of a malaise among Bulls fans. Like, damn it, we were good, and then in, this like hasn't broken the way that maybe they thought. I don't, I don't think that they're done. I think that they obviously have some things that they could do to be continue to be. Of course, it's, it, this all had to play out. But I think that Io has been... 
a, a guy who has kept them from like the the bottom falling off. Like he's come in and like stemmed the tide and been a nice connector. I love I love that. How would you you kind of described a connective before we wrap up for people who don't like follow basketball super closely? What would you say the difference between a connective playmaker and a primary playmaker is? Just sort of like do a glossary here. Well, so primary, you're the one initiating the offense, right? You're making the first move. You're creating the advantage. You're beating your guy. You're finding the crack in the defense. And you know, at the NBA level, more often than not, even if you get that advantage, the defense will rotate, right? Okay, they've rotated over. You've created the advantage. You've got to pass the ball to someone else. And then a connector player, that's a guy who's able to keep that advantage going, right? It's okay, so the defense is rotating towards him. He's going to drive the ball into the crack, then make the next pass. So then maybe the primary guy might not get the assist, but the connective guy gets – it's like the hockey assist, they call it. Where in hockey, two passes get you an assist instead of just one. So two guys get an assist for every made, every made goal. The connective guy in basketball – that's the guy getting the secondary assist. So the primary guy beats his man, defense rotates. The secondary guy gets the ball, defense rotates again. The, connect, the secondary slash connective guy, then he makes the next pass for the shooter. Because in the NBA, especially as you get in the playoffs, a lot of times you have to make two or three plays to beat a defense. Yeah. And that connective guy is making that second or that third play. Yes, and a lot of the best offenses for people who are interested, like historically, to go dive on this thing. A lot of the best offenses ever have had connective players. Like I think one of the best connective playmakers in the league is Draymond, a guy who can like catch a pass off of advantage created and swing it to somebody. You made a really good point about like keeping the advantage going, and I, I think that's a fantastic point. But check out Io; he's been playing fantastic. Charks is working on his Jaden Ivy piece. We're going to be coming back, like we said, with more and more. Uh, March Madness-driven content. Was there anything else that you wanted to tack on there for the end of I.O. before we before we head out? No, I think we got that. I would say I also I have a piece coming on Thursday about like my medical situation and okay. all that and being a dad, and so that'll come out on Thursday for anyone right. wants. So. Yes, eager, eager. Is that going to be on the Ringer? Yeah. Okay. Cool. Yeah, we'll keep an eye eye out and what about your video project kyle is that coming along ongoing ongoing we're still on it to wrap it up thanks for joining us if you if you're a new listener we're doing this every tuesday we're produced by chris sutton doing a fantastic job as per usual and uh subscribe and listen to all the other ringer nba shows on the feed because there are a ton we come at it from a lot of different angles and if there's something for everybody so uh thanks for joining us and subscribe and all that and uh say hey to us john it was good to see you buddy as always 